morning, welcome to Pull Up A Cuppa. I'm June and I'm here today with Melanie. Hello there, Melanie. Hello there, June. How are you doing? I'm not bad at all. Not bad at all. And you? Oh, 100 days of lockdown. What can we say? It's just... Well, yeah. oh, okay. I woke up this morning to all the news that went, it's the 1st of July. And I was like, hang on, I can accept that we lost a bit of March. Yeah. And I, I could possibly accept April. Yeah. But me and June, I'm like, it's three months where we've just, it's just yeah. been nothingness. It's a groundhog day. Like, and everybody you speak to is the same. I mean, obviously, there's some people that's constantly been going to work, um, you know, and doing that everyday key worker roles because they've had to. Um, but, you know, like, I'm shielding. So, um, although I didn't find out until the end of April, um, so I've not really been very far. Other than, to see, other than to see family members that are also shielding, like my nana, who's 83 and she's got dementia, and my best friend, who's just had a, a cancer diagnosis. So, you know, um, life doesn't stop for some people. It goes on as normal, but for other people, it's kind of like being in a bit of a vortex, I think. Um, oh, yeah, it's just coping with that and coping with me. Yeah normal life that's that has to happen like we have to do shopping we have mm -hmm. to wash the clothes i can just hear me washing machine going you you, you that yeah. stuff still happens but everything yeah. else we would normally do mm -hmm. just as a break yeah even just to go out like i know like i have a habit like and i'm probably sure many people do unless it's just me and i'm a bit weird but just jumping in the car just to get a change of scenery and going to the drive-through for a coffee um it's like obviously for a while there that wasn't even possible so like obviously saved an absolute fortune which is great um but like on the other hand like it's just like even just being able because my daughter's home from working on the cruise ship because obviously that's all gone pear-shaped as well so she had to she was initially stuck in america for about six or seven weeks before they decided to try to get them home and they couldn't they wouldn't look the cdc in america wouldn't let them fly so literally a cruise ship the disney cruise ship had to like literally sail from america to like the europe europe for all of the european cruise ship crew to get off um so she was like i was like is she gonna get home so she's home my son, who was 18, who was in his final year at the academy, obviously that all dropped like a stone. Um, so he hasn't had any exams. He hasn't been able to say goodbye to his friends. Um, he hasn't had a prom. Um, so like, it's like, and obviously he's like, is this it? So I've had the kind of emotional fallout with that. And then my other son, Dylan, who was in his last year at... Um, UCA in Surrey doing a performing arts um, he was supposed to like have a final piece they were going to do a showcase in front of agents like talent scouts in London that got cancelled um, you know so he ended up just on the cusp of lockdown 
he got home, he drove up from Surrey, so he's been home. Um, he's just had to go back to tie up like the, he had a student rental with his girlfriend mm. and some other friends. So he's had to nip back down to sort that out because it's the last couple of weeks of the tenancy. Mm-hmm. So at one point, I'm not used to having all the kids home. And then they were home. And then like there was even just to get a break, there was nowhere to go. It's like, no. you're all doing my head in. I need to get out of this house. But where do I go? Nowhere. Yeah. It's like short of just sitting in my car and <laughs> like do you know what I mean so I think everyone's struggled yeah I think that's that's something that's been overlooked it's always the places that will go just for normality but the fact that all of a sudden everything else that's normally happening around you is only happening in your little bubble yeah and it we, definitely feels like a bubble doesn't it oh I mean we've got obviously Phil's 17, so Phil's first year at Gateshead Academy of Music and Sound doing music performance. So mm-hmm. he's doing his BTEC, so he's doing his level three. Yeah. And he switched to online learning. So we're having guitar lessons through Skype in his bedroom. Yeah. And he says it's just so different to have to get used to, to learning online. Mm-hmm. to learn an, another way he's had modules he hasn't been able to do because there were supposed to be practical modules so they mm-hmm. swapped it round and gave him the they gave the the first years the dissertation module instead of is he doing a degree no so like a, a research bit they would have done in second year they gave them mm-hmm. that to do yeah. for the first years instead so at least they could still make up the right amount of modules Mm-hmm. So they've adapted. I mean, credit to them. They've adapted amazing. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, been and wrote like an, an essay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously he's going into his second year in September. And then mm-hmm. he even announced the other day he's looking at doing a degree in music. So we'll just wait and see. Yeah. What I, happens? Well, this is a thing. I don't know. Like, obviously. We never thought about it logically until Dylan pointed it out, obviously with him being in the midst of university doing a degree when all this lockdown occurred and he came home and then they were like, he said, what happens? I'm paying, I'll be paying for me tuition. They haven't had any, they're not going to get a refund or anything like that. Um, so he was working out with some of his like, you know, fellow classmates at uni like they were working out they were having maybe two zoom meetings a week just to touch base they had no guidance on doing their like final piece or anything like that um because the lecturer got stuck in australia so he couldn't come back so then they had to switch guidance tutors to have to and then he had no guidance for this final piece for ages but he worked out that the two Zoom meetings a week, it was something like they were worth like something like three or six hundred pounds. So he said his, his girlfriend else, who's in now, who will be going into her final year in September, she's categorically said, if it's going to be online tutorials, I'm just going to f- not go back to uni because the part of it is, is the course that she's doing, for example, she's making things so she's yeah. doing like 
woodwork, metalwork, um, glass, like ceramics, anything like that. That's the kind of course she's doing. So those facilities, she, she hasn't got those kind of things at home. So what's the point of doing all of that kind of stuff online when you, you, it's kind of partly about the facilities as well? So I think it's going to change the way people think about like education and what have you now. Um, especially when now there's like 9,000 a year tuition fees. Um, like it's insane. Like you've got to think logically. I think there'll be a lot of people switching, uh, you know, they'll be doing things more locally than, than, than anything else. So I don't know, it's, it's food for thought. And like, I know Dylan's pretty miffed about like the situation, but I've said, you know, you and thousands of other young people and mature people doing courses are in the same boat. Um, and it's kind of like an impossible situation for everyone. What yeah. do you do? It's, you've got to find that way to, Mm -hmm. to make your degree and what you've learned work for you with the situation yeah. now because we don't know especially with performing arts we don't know what that's going to be in the future so it's finding ways that you can make it work yeah yeah i agree um i think it's going to be a tough time for not just the you know the creative arts like as in performing and you know, filmmaking and everything like that. But like my husband has his own business. Um, he's, a, he's in the creative industries, but design. That's totally changed. The, the whole, the whole process of getting, you know, a client coming to you with a job. I mean, they're very used to working across different time zones because of what they do. We work so with a lot of um, people in different countries, um, like mainly America, but he also works with other countries as well. Um, so he is used to like doing Zoom meetings and other, you know, other mediums like that. But then it's like, for example, a lot of people have been furloughed. Um, and for example, in America, we, people in this country think we've well, got a bad in America. Those people get furloughed. They don't get paid. We're lucky. The people that are furloughed here that are able to be furloughed are getting 80% of their wage paid by the government in America. They ain't getting anything at all so they're having to be um you know working on the skeleton staff if they need a job done and it needs approved then they've got a you know you've got less staff to do that so work has really dramatically reduced um and so obviously then as a result of that you know you've got staff that maybe would sort out payment then that's being delayed so it has like a knock-on effect so it's about now He's really, like, they're really starting to feel a pinch now. So that, like, kickback from March is now coming through. Um, so it's affecting, like, everybody. There's not a single family that I know that has not been affected by this whole COVID situation one way or another. Yeah. It's the, it's that knock-on effect. Because mm -hmm. I was saying it's, like, um... So even with like the, the holiday industry or yeah. a supermarket or a shop, but if a shop has to close down, yes, the staff, but then you've got the suppliers get affected, the the, yeah. the supply, the, the truck drivers get affected, the mm -hmm. the huge knock on from one shop having to close yeah. is massive. 
Mm. Um, and I think that's, it's, it's huge. It's not just like two people losing their job in a shop. It's as well, the huge knock on that all of them jobs have had. Mm. You know, I've got a friend that works in the travel industry. My cousin works in the travel industry. She's a stewardess for BA. My friend works in a um, like a bespoke travel shop. So, like, if people want to like book, um, like, really like kind of specific like flash holidays to places like the Maldives and stuff like that, where they want like a specific, say, water bungalow, or they want to go on a tour somewhere, like. She was, she's been furloughed. Me cousin's um, been furloughed. Um, you know, it's just everybody, my daughter works on a cruise ship for Disney. Like they basically said, at first, obviously they had crew, like crew and passengers on the ship. Then the, then the, um, the cruise ended. Um, just a few weeks before that, we'd had some really bad news and, Jason's mum's very ill, she has lymphoma. We just found out about it and we didn't think she was going to last very long. So it was obviously a very distressing time. We didn't think she was going to make it. So we got Anna home on an emergency debark from the ship and they'd flown her back to Heathrow. Um, Jason's family live in Surrey. So I was down there, obviously back and forth to the hospital at the very beginning of March time. Um, so she was home for about 12 days. She got back to the ship on the Saturday and then was locked on the ship. Couldn't get off. Couldn't even get off at like an island or anything like that. The CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control in America, like they just basically, quite rightly so, said that had some really bad incidents at breakouts, which was very well publicised on the west coast of America. She was on the east coast. Her ship was never affected by COVID. But despite that, they wouldn't let them get off. And even to the point where the hat helicopters flying to the side of the ship to check they were socially distancing. Like that's, it was really bad. So like obviously for everyone's safety that had to happen and they wanted to check, but then they were going to fly them home, then that couldn't happen, that they said they couldn't get, even though the outbreak in America is horrific, like the UK has been, um, they wouldn't let crew members get on a flight, a commercial flight with anybody else, even though they had no COVID at all. Um, so the risk was more likely to be to this, the crew from the ship than it was the other way around. Um, then they chartered a flight, they chartered their own flight, Disney was paying for someone to take them back to Europe. Then the um, the company, the charter company, kind of got cold feet and said, mm, we're not doing it. So she was like, I'm coming home. I'm not coming home. I'm coming home. I'm not coming home. So she was like really down. Um, and there was even, she was telling me, there was even not on her ship. But there was even reports, because um, a lot of the crew staff know each other and they go from company to company. There was um, people committing suicide because they were just so distraught at the fact that they were like stuck. They were just, you know, killing themselves, which was horrific. Not on her ship, I must point out, but on other, um, other cruise lines. Um, so it's affected like people like 
everybody and mental health I think has been hit particularly badly when you hear stories like that I mean at least we can like go outside and sit in our garden or whatever and you know get a bit of fresh air and I suppose once you're stuck on a ship there isn't anywhere to go but be on the ship. That's so, it and I think this is what a couple of us had said as well that even people who never thought that their mental health impacted them negatively mm -hmm. this has really shown that even the strongest person can have a weak can have a weak moment totally and i'm fairly certain if you speak to people i mean some people aren't for talking about it and that's fine because if people don't want to talk they don't have to i'm kind of like an open book like that i will just talk um but you know I've, I've suffered like not really quite badly with my mental health. I suffer anyway. I'm on long-term antidepressants, um, you know, and what have you. But there's times where I've just felt utterly desperate um, and like just wanted to get away. You know, even if it was just like to jump in the car, pack a bag and stay a night in a Premier Inn just to get away and have a change of scenery. Um, I have, like, inadvertently twice during lockdown, I have had two hospital admissions. So, which obviously was not nice. Um, but, like, I just jokingly said to my family, I feel like it's just like, I'm just treating it like a five-star hotel stay with morphine. Um, oh, well, well, now, come on, if we could book a hotel that would give us morphine. Oh, well, I had that. I had that. Well, I've been nearly two weeks in Cramlinton Hospital um, and then in the beginning of March I had an emergency um, like situation I was meant to get my gallbladder out they cancelled it because of Covid on the Friday on the Saturday the next day the pain kicked off and I ended up being admitted and I got taken out there that week yeah so um, I've had a, you know a delightful mm. roller coaster um, lockdown period yeah. so it's been the only time I've had morphine was with my gallbladder. Yeah, oh my God. Um, and it's, I, obviously, I would not wish the, the, the pain of fibro on anybody. Yeah. Um, because it, the pain of fibro is horrendous. Mm -hmm. The pain of gallbladder, I would rather have another child. Yeah, at least there's, a, there's something at the end of it. But, but it sort of labour sort of follows a predictable pattern. You yeah. Know that you're going to at least get a couple of minutes, but it's like it's like a six-hour contraction. Yeah. Um, and I had, like I say, I was on. I had so many admissions, mm -hmm. and I was on Oromorph and everything, and it only mm -hmm. it took the pain away. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get any other weird side effects from it. It just killed the pain, which was wonderful. Yeah. And after my surgery, they're going, do you need some aromorph? And I'm going, do you know what? I can survive on paracetamol and ibuprofen. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, you see, it, well, that's, I mean, I'm not used to strong painkillers. I don't get all of the, you know, some people say, oh my God, I just slept or you know, um, I felt weird or what, it just touched the sides with me because I've been on painkillers for such a long time because of the medical condition that I've got. Um, so then when the, the crap hits the fan and I'm in agony, 
it's really hard to get on top of the pain. So I end up on ketamine, fentanyl, like literally the staff at the hospital have joked and said, you have had enough ketamine to take a horse down. How are you still in pain? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm in agony. So it takes ages to get on top of it. So it's an absolute mm. nightmare. So both times this time, and I mean, I was a midwife and like I could dish out dimorphine and what have you, like I was come home and I've seen the effect it has on people. It doesn't even touch me. It does not mm. touch me. So I just think I'm like a seasoned drug addict, really, <laughs> in the nicest possible way. <laughs> oh, dear. It's finding that point. I mean, I don't know what it's like mm-hmm. to not be in pain. Yeah, me too. But the only time I wasn't in pain was, um, I would say, when I got taken in the first time by ambulance. Mm-hmm. And these, even in the ambulance, they were giving us morphine, but they gave us it in three goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I actually, I felt a bit lightheaded with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I vomited, but mm, hey-ho. But it was the only time that I've actually lain there and gone, I can't feel anything. And he's going, all right, are you okay? I says, no, but what I mean is I've got fibro and I have constant pain. And I'm lying here and I haven't got a pain. Yeah. And it was actually quite unnerving. Yeah. Because my pain is part of me. Mm -hmm. And to suddenly have that bit taken away was nice. Mm-hmm. but it was weird yeah you're so accustomed to it aren't you oh yeah when people say yeah. it, for me to say oh I'm okay today means yeah. I've got no more pains than I would expect yeah yeah but then when you go oh I'm a bit sore means I've probably got more pain than you can imagine yeah and sometimes I get up and still will go are you okay I'll go mm. he'll go okay I'm making coffee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even speak because yeah. all, your, all your, your energy goes into coping with the pain and the words just... Yeah, yeah. And quite often you come out, it's gobbledygook as well because you'll go to say something and it's like the, the words don't come out quite right or you've got that much brain fog because you're so busy trying to process the pain that what you're trying to like say it doesn't come out in the right way i've come out with some right weird things in my time oh, i've come out with some i've even done it on a few of these where the pain's gone loony I would, the pain's never been talked about but i've had a couple where i'm like no hang on that's not the word or i've done the intro and it hasn't even worked mm-hmm. but it's the unpredictability of it and it's a part yeah. of i think what we both accept now is yeah, the condition. yeah i mean obviously i haven't always been this way um but obviously as i get older and i've got this connective tissue problem and basically the collagen isn't made properly so i have loose joints i've had two hip replacements my back's hypermobile um you know so i it's part of you know i don't let it define me um but uh, you know it's part of how i am now and i have to just i get knackered the pain tires me out or just physically moving around us um even like little tasks so obviously now I don't work um so it's like you know things that I think for example 
having the kids and going to uni for three years and doing what I did feels like a different lifetime ago now because so much has changed. Um, but you have, I've obviously, I have to ask, you have to accept your limitations when you're like that. And I know so many in the community that are, you know, I've got a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome hypermobility, um, which is supposed to be rare, but my best friend's being diagnosed with it now which is weird. Um, I know quite a few people who have hypermobility on, on, on it's because it's like a spectrum. Um, so some people have it really bad. Some people don't have it as bad. Some people have it in between and everything, you know, because everybody's so individual, different people manage it in different ways. Um, so it just seems to be like a, a, a thing that everybody has to deal with in I suppose, like, for example, I was, like, the start of this lockdown, because I spend a lot of time at home, I was laughing, look, I was born to do this, this lockdown, you know, I, I've trained. It's like, I'm, I'm used to being at home rather a lot, um, because I have days where, like, there's days where I just don't get out of bed, um, there's days where, you know, I'm lucky if I make it downstairs, um, you know, because I'm so tired and exhausted and haven't slept with the pain or whatever reason. So I thought, oh, I'm great. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine with this lockdown. It's going to be great. I'll just, you know, binge Netflix and I'll have people at home with us because I'm used to being at home alone. But it's just been like weird. Weird yeah. having a Yeah. It's, I think the best way to describe it is before that was not just a decision to stay in, but you mm -hmm. were allowing yourself to stay in or you had to stay in. This is a being told to. Yeah. And that's yeah. the biggie. And I think um, once you're not shielding as much, hopefully once you're allowed to like switch from shielding to just isolating, mm -hmm. um, we'll have to go for a socially distanced coffee. I'm good with that. Does that sound good? Or, I'll, or I'll waddle up to yours because you're only a couple of streets or so away from me i'll waddle up to you with my walking frame and we'll sit in the garden yeah yeah and compare pains yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like and that's when you skid into middle age <laughs> it's oh. like all of a sudden because i found myself one day i laughed at my husband because i was like i listen to capital radio i kind of in my mind i'm 18 and i'm like <laughs> I'm down with the kids, I'm, I'm singing to the tunes in the car. We went down to Surrey to see Jason's family, his brother and his mum and like his like nieces and nephews and everything. And he had Radio 4 on in the car. Oh, really? I'm sure it was Radio 4. Len Goodman was on and he was doing like the musicals. And the next thing on you, I'm like, oh, for God's sake, why have you got this on? Like, we're not old, we're in my 40s, come on. Put something a bit like more lively on well anyway the next thing i was singing along and he turns to me and he went oh. i says you've just made me skid into middle age you get i was not impressed i, I was not it. impressed i was well, like how dare you yeah well we will meet and we will have um a middle-aged meetup yeah we can do that i'm good with that we can talk how does that sound looking forward to it and well, thanks for having this chat, Melanie. So you take you care. Brother. You right. too. It's been nice to see you. Definite. Take care there. Take care, darling. <laughs>